Hello and welcome to another Red River Scripture Circles podcast. This is Jennifer Schillinger. I'm the host and director of Red River Scripture Circles. We are joined today by our with our um, resident rabbi Noah Allman. Thank you, Jennifer. In his podcast voice, <laughs> and we are also joined by Laura and Leah Shep. And we're just so excited for you guys to be here today and um, for having your voice in the conversation. For those of you who are listening, if this is your first time, we structure these conversations very similarly to how we facilitate circles. And so even though we have a predestined, pre-designed, pre-selected topic today, um, uh, everything else is unscripted. And so it's just where the leading of the Spirit, the Lord, and the text bring the conversation. And so today we are going to be discussing Ruth. Ruth. So uh, the book of Ruth uh, begins with um, one of those verses that says a whole lot, and it's also so easy to just skip right on by. Um, when the book of Ruth begins, most verses will, uh, or most translations will variantly translate verse 1. Um, in the days when the chieftains ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah... Uh, with his wife and two sons, went to reside in the country of Moab. Now, there's a lot that's just been said. There's a lot that's just been said in that verse one. Um, the land that they were in uh, was the land of Bethlehem. It says, you know, he's a man of Bethlehem. So here we go. Now it says, though, that there was a what in Bethlehem, which is why they left to go to Moab. What's in Bethlehem? Famine. A famine. Now, this gets to... Um, it's so helpful to translate the meaning of the names, not just of people, but also of places. And we'll look at people's names, too, in this passage. But for a moment here to look at the name of this place, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, um, it was just sounded out Beit Lechem in Hebrew becomes Bethlehem in English. And Beit Lechem in Hebrew, Beit means house, and Lechem means bread. So literally verse 1 translates, there was a famine in the house of bread. Now... Okay, there's a famine in the house of bread. Meaning what? Where there should be food, there was no food. Okay, right? Where there should be food, there was no food. Um, and to get to a, right, like where there should be food, there was no food. And what also makes this start to be very complicated is um, Naomi and her husband and their kids will all leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Now, this is jumping way ahead, but by the end of this chapter, Naomi comes back, obviously a different scenario, but she comes back, and what's still there? People. People who didn't know, leave. Didn't leave, and they're still they're alive. alive. <laughs> and they know exactly they who this person is, and they yes. survive. I mean, there's a huge question that, that kind of underlies verse one, which is are we talking about what? Who? Food famine, might we be talking about what? Spiritual famine. And I was just, this is part of the heartbeat wrestle question of Ruth chapter one, which is, and it's not to say it couldn't be both, it could be both, absolutely could be both. Could this be every bit as much talking about a spiritual famine as it is a literal famine of, of no food bread? Um, and, and when we think about the time that this is taking place in, what's going on for the people in the land at this time? A lot of fighting, honestly, with surrounding countries. And right. they have judges, so not always a clear leader. It's kind of who emerges as a leader. And the book of Judges ends by saying what? We all did what was right in the 
Right, so we have people who are all doing what is right in their own eyes, and in that vein, it doesn't particularly sound like people are behaving how? According to the laws that are already like, set before them. Exactly, right? And so in that vein, might we be talking about a spiritual famine? Might we be talking about a communal famine, a relational famine, a famine of, of God? And, and there's actually another prophet who will speak to this exact thing. Um, Amos uh, will actually write um, in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, um, will say, A time is coming, declares my Lord God, when I will send a famine upon the land. Not a hunger for bread or a thirst for water, but for hearing the words of the Lord. So there is a conversation that's already that is happening in Scripture, not necessarily already, but there is a conversation in Scripture that's talking about we have famines. It's not always literal bread, and yet it's every bit as much a famine. Totally. Yes. Well, and even when I think about Jesus, and we talk about like He was the Word made flesh, and then even in John six thirty five, it says, "And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." But um, that idea that, that spiritual famine, like Jesus is not obviously talking about him being physical bread, but he's the bread of life. So it's like a spiritual bread. Exactly. Right in that moment, he's not saying literally coming to Jesus. Um, and, and so there's a famine in the house of bread. Can you say that? Can you say what you said again? Oh, just, you know, Jesus saying um, in John 6, uh, 35, like, I'm the bread of life. So, you know, anyone who comes to me will not be hungry. It's not, obviously it's not a physical hunger. So I just think, you know, and the connection to we were talking about with Amos, um, that they'll hunger for the word. And then we also talk about Jesus is the word made flesh. So yeah, all of these just connections to the idea of like, what is bread? What are we hungering, hungering after? Um, and what fills us? And I think so often it's not just our physical needs being met, but it's the spiritual. And to think for, right, in this vein, in a place that's called the house of bread, in Judah, there's a famine. Yeah. And that it would make sense to people who are trying to follow God in the land, in Judah, in a place called house of bread, to go to where? Moab. Moab. Mo it makes sense for them to leave a spiritually, potentially, famined place to go to Moab. Moab is what? Not godly. <laughs> Not godly. And they're really, they're bitter enemies. They they are very not nice to each other in the, in the frame of how they, like, steal from each other. And, you know, they send out, like, just people to come and steal your stuff. And they're not good. And it would, like, to think, right, everything you said, it would make sense for someone to say, well, we're in a famine, we're going to go to Moab. Like, yeah. that's an incredible statement uh, of, of the degree of which we are not experiencing a sustenance, a nourishment. Yeah. yeah. And, like, Moab is, like, that's the, the son of the daughter of, like, Lot. Hmm. Like, Lot sleeps, like, with his daughter, and Moabites are born. And so, I'm just, like, all the things maybe he's not seeing here. I, I'm sorry, like, there's just things that are happening in my mind, even of, like, thinking about how Lot chose the land. Um, and he said that, oh, like, like when, you know, Abraham goes and saves him again and again, right? And then he's like, okay, like, all, all of our our flocks are fighting. Like, there's too much dis dissent that's happening between them. So he tells Lot, like, we, we just can't hang out together any longer. And so he allows Lot to choose which way he will go, and then Abraham said he'll go the other way. 
And Lot chooses the land that he says, he actually likens it to the lush land of, of Egypt. And I just think, like, what is it that he's, like, that um, Naomi's husband is not seeing that is causing them to, like, go in this direction towards this land that is, you know, he's clearly not seeing spiritually. Okay. What did this, her husband, his name means? Yes. Uh, so, yes, his name is Elimelech. Um, uh, Elimelech, uh, my god is king. Eli, uh, my god, Melech, king. Yeah. So if he was talking about the one true god, he's not living like he's king. Okay. Maybe not live into our name so well. Yeah, when you don't live into your name well. There's so much happening in just the under-languaging of verse 1 that it's like, um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yep, there we go. Um, and, and Judah, uh, Judah literally means praise the Lord, right? So they're in the house of, bed, house of bread, praise the Lord, um, or the Lord's praise, and they leave that to go to Moab. And as you said, Jennifer, right, um, it's Lot and Moab. The Moabites are the product of a night of incest between Lot and his two daughters, Um and, and here the Moabites are. And when Lot sees the land, as you said, he likens it to Egypt. It's so lush. It's so filled with life. It's like Egypt's like the garden of the Lord, he'll say. You know, he, he seems to be mixing all of these kinds of abundances um, of physical and spiritual and godly and not. Um, you know, and so here we go. In Ruth 1, we're already seeing that confusion and mixing and famine and hunger but i think like it you know goes back to when we were talking about like what it says at the end of judges where it says that people were doing what felt good in their own sight i feel like our sight gets so chaotic and messy and is so limited that um it's hard sometimes to know like to separate it all and to actually find the the true path for like what is actually good like what is actually happening like when God isn't the, the centering, the defining, the directing, like when we're doing what's good in our own eyes, like how we're making choices in our limited view that seem to be good, seem to be the right choices, but really cause us to go to Moab <laughs> from the house of bread. Yeah. And sometimes I even think about, like when I think about churches and Christian communities, sometimes people are like, oh, well, like I don't feel the presence of the Lord there. And so sometimes people just, they leave church community altogether, or they'll leave church community one community for another. And they're like, oh, well, that's supposed to be the house of bread, but I feel like there's, like, I don't feel the presence of the Lord there. And sometimes they do what is good in their own eyes. And when is it that they're out of their own misunderstanding or misseeing, or that they, they choose to leave and they go, go to a place like Moab. Like, where they, where they Don't you leave. feel like, why didn't you just start making bread then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If mm-hmm. you're there, the Lord is in this place, so let's start making bread. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, but when you do what's good in your own sight and you don't feel, like you don't ask God, like they didn't, they didn't inquire of the Lord, right? They didn't right. say like, hey God. Yeah, that's a big deal. Like, let's pray here and see if we can. Where we should go. Where, so that we can, you know cease this famine instead or mm-hmm. or where should we go instead mm-hmm. we just make choices well okay so where do we want to go 
Yes. So what happens? Like let's hyper. Let's 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 talk really quickly about what ends up happening, and then let's let's do Naomi and Ruth. Let's talk about how Ruth Ruth gets it. Ruth gets in there. How does she get in there? How does she get in there? I I asked. (laughs) (laughs) What happens? So they go down to Moab, and then then what happens? The men are killed off. The men are killed. Well, right away. Well, they get married first. Ah, they get married first. Okay. (laughs) Who do they get married to? Uh, Orpa and Ruth. Orpa and Ruth. And then what happens? Then they're killed off. Then they're killed off. <laughs> okay. And they die. Then they're dead. They're dead. And her husband dies, right? So yeah. Eli Melech, um, Naomi's husband, dies. Bunch of widows. <laughs> we have a bunch of widows, very sadly. Um, and, hey, so there we go. Then, very interestingly enough, um, the, she starts out with her two daughters-in-law to return uh, from the country of Moab. For in the country of Moab, she had heard that the Lord had taken note of his people and had given them food. In verse 6, where it says, given them food, given them bread. Mm-hmm. So literally she hears, now, now there's bread in the house of bread. Mm. Um, you know, and it's just, it's kind of, it's like, they're so, they're so playing with language here. It's just kind of too fun. Um, there's a family in the house of bread. Take a note of her that now there's bread in the house of bread. And we're going back to the place where there's bread. Um, you know, it's like, come on. Um, okay. And then, um, accompanied by the two daughters-in-law, they go down with everything they had. And they go down to Judah. And? And? Sorry. Oh, where, where was it going? I don't even think they get all the way to Judah before no. Orpah is all like, uh, or Naomi wants them to go back. And Orpah's like, okay. At first she kind of is all like, no, no, I'm coming with. And Orpah's like, no, no, I'll go home. But Ruth is different. Ah. Uh-huh. And I personally love the, just the phrasing of verse 16. Do not urge me. This is Ruth talking. Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. The, even that 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 phrase, if even death, sep- yeah, or excuse me, may the Lord deal with deal with me, be it ever so severely, is said again and again, and you'll see that even like Saul will say this type of thing, David will say this type of thing. It's definitely so for her to already know that phrase. I just I don't think I realized that it was just a common phrase or did she already have some Hebrew knowledge to her? Well, and to this end, exactly. Saul and David haven't happened yet. Right. Yeah. Meaning this is the precursor to that. Yeah. Meaning when they're saying it, if anything, they're riffing on her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which. She's just some Moabite. She's that... just some Moabite. Yeah. Here is this Moabitess woman named Ruth. And Ruth, real quick, because uh, we were talking about names, Ruth means... Friend. Friend. So we're literally looking at a woman named Friend. Uh, just so beautiful. Root. Um, uh, literally means friend. And and here, I love as you said. She's saying these words that then kings will quote mm-hmm. and and basically replicate later on. And as you said, it's breathtaking, right? Um, do not urge me to leave you to And and the words they sound like Ruth is is what here. She's almost like stubborn about it, like. <laughs> I am going where you're going, like, regardless of, like, what you think or otherwise. 
If someone were to say these words to you, what would you think? Yeah, they're tethering themselves to you. Mm-hmm. It's a connection and an enduring covenant of, like a soul tie. I love covenant, uh, tethering, enduring soul tie. I think that's why this is like a very popular wedding verse. Yeah. Like this is one that we had at our wedding because it meant so much to me. Yeah. Because it speaks of not just touchy-feely love and emotional. It speaks of true commitment. Mm-hmm. And like, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter that in the next verse you're going to say, I'm all alone and I'm not even here. <laughs> I came by myself, even though I'm standing right there. The commitment is there no matter what. You know? I love I love as you said that because I think so often when we talk about marriage, as you said, because this is verses that's often used at a wedding. And when we talk about marriage, we talk about wedding context, like you said, it can become so overly please remember, like romantic in nature, that it's all about a certain kind of feeling between a man and a woman and, and, and they, a certain kind of okay between two people. Okay. And this is an and it's a commitment. There's an intentional, thoughtful, tethering tying that is happening in this space that isn't strictly about reproduction mm-hmm. or having babies right like that's not the entirety of this conversation or, or or of certain physical acts and that's the whole it is a covenantal commitment between people that can absolutely happen here between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law right like the, 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 it doesn't have to be oh we're getting married and then we're just going to live two of us together it's like you can create a covenant with another person that isn't your spouse that's by no means ungodly. Like, this is very much like a covenantal conversation. And, you know, too, going back to that, Ruth was committing to something that was going to be very hard for her. She was going to go into a land where the people hated her people. Mm-hmm. That, like, literally hated her. I mean, she was maybe getting spit on and mistreated and everything else. And she said, but I will not leave. And I think of that, you know, like I have the best in-laws ever, but I know some people that just have in-laws who just treat them like they're dirt or like you're not even part of our family. And Ruth was saying that might be so, but they're still my people because they're your people. And how much love and acceptance does that take to like, even though I will be rejected, they're still my people from now on. That's a huge statement to make. And to tethering yourself to someone, I think, out of deep relationship, like you were saying, because it's not like Naomi was going back to, like, like she doesn't have covering. Like, she doesn't have a husband. Like, they don't have their land. Like, I mean, they're not even entitled to whatever they left unless someone else redeems it. Like, they, you know, like, I am committing to you and potentially a life of poverty, potentially a, a life of of just being widows in a land where we're hoping that people will take pity on take us. Take pity on us. Yeah, take mercy. You know? And yeah. then like, even like in verse 16, it ends with, and your God, my God, and then immediately in verse 17, may the Lord, and not like, may your God, like do with me ever so severely, but may the Lord, and like immediately just takes that on like seconds later. Mm-hmm. It seems mm-hmm. like. And I think, like, just jumping back to the very beginning also, like, even um, if they had left the House of Bread and if out of the maybe limited sight of, um, of you know, 
Jason's husband. It, like, e- even though, like, you know, how beautiful this, like, story, I mean, like, this whole book is named Ruth. Like, without that diversion, like, she's not folded in. Like, we don't have this story. So, I think sometimes we, we always talk about, um, like, wanting to be in the will of God. And even when we mess it up, how are we doing anyways? And I, I appreciate it, too, what you said there, Laura, you know, about, I was thinking back what you said a few minutes ago, with that dimension of, it's not as if Ruth makes this commitment to Naomi, and then everything is rainbows and unicorns going forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, Naomi isn't necessarily super great to her on a couple different occasions, right? It's, right. Things are kind of, ooh, doesn't necessarily feel super pleasant. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, joke because Naomi's name means pleasant. Uh, sorry, um, Naomi's name literally means pleasant. And so it's not always that pleasant is very pleasant to, to friend. Um, and it doesn't mean that then friend goes and says, nope, done. I know I said those words, but I'm out. You, you're yeah. not being yourself. So mm, I'm done. It's like it, she made a covenantal commitment to her. I mean, it, it, that, that is the feel of these words that she is saying to her. And it's, and I think it gets to, you know, when we talk about, as you said, how these words are used in a marriage context, when we make a commitment to each other and, and two people are, are committing to each other, it's not always that it's always going to be fun or happy or that there will be times that are filled with strife and tension and maybe even conflict. And how do we navigate those together sometimes with the guiding principles of what are the things we commit to each other? You know, what, what are those things that we're actually saying yes to? in those relationships and accepting that when the pleasant one is not being pleasant you're still committed yeah like what is it to be a friend like what is it really to be Ruth yeah exactly even when pleasant is I mean pleasant it doesn't mean that friend gets an out yeah the covenant is still still stands Uh uh-huh yeah Uh uh-huh yeah yeah it really is breathtaking what she says and and as you said it's, it's it's fascinating because these words are echoed generations later. Um, and, and I sometimes think that Ruth gets so little credit. You know, here she is, a woman from Moab. Of all the people, I mean, of all the people, here she is. And, and she gets a whole book named after her. Yeah. It's not Naomi. Not... This is not Naomi's story. It is, but it isn't. It's the book of Ruth. Yeah, and to think, you know, if I think that I need to be, you know, born of the right family or come from good stock or, or have great genes and then I get a book in the Bible, um, you know, here's Ruth. Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here? One thing that, that I know came up um, as something we were thinking about, too, is how Naomi talks about Ruth. Um, and Orpah, for that matter. She refers to them continually as being her... What? Daughters. Daughters. Meaning, now the the narrative voice of the text will actually oftentimes refer to them as daughter in laws, which is interesting. That 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 Naomi doesn't necessarily talk about it that way. And even after this kind of really awkward moment towards the end of Ruth chapter one, when she returns to Bethlehem and she says, you know, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. You know, call me Naomi, call me Mara. Um, even then, you know, in in uh, Ruth two two. Um, it says that Naomi calls her, yes, daughter, go. You know, so th- this whole conversation of how does Naomi see Ruth, um, even in kind of the ups and downs of their relationship, 
she seems to still see her as her daughter, uh, not drawing a distinction. And I think, you know, it made me think about when you were talking about in-laws, you know, how do we see our families? Um, you know, and, because I think sometimes when, when we talk about entering into a covenantal relationship, while maybe one is not necessarily covenanting with every person in the family, by covenanting to a person, they come with the whole family. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily saying that I've made those words to every single person, but, but I have made those words to you, and you also have a whole context that you come from. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if we oftentimes think about that when we think about relationships and how we are in relationship with others, that it's the whole family you're, you're kind of, for lack of a better term, buying a ticket to. Yeah. Um, not just the individual. It's... Yeah. My mom always gave me that good advice. Be careful who you marry. <laughs> be careful who you marry. It's true. But it's also just be careful who, what you covenant to. Yeah. You know, when you covenant with God, it's probably a safe covenant, you know, but be careful what you're saying. Yeah. You know, be mindful that you can actually fulfill what you're promising to do. Yeah, I think it's um, this whole story about Ruth um, and just the way that she continues to be present um, to Naomi. I think even the way that she initiates gleaning, the way that she listens to Naomi's voice and her counsel, the way that um, eventually when she gets married and has a child and that it's redemptive to Naomi, um, that I think consistent presence and thoughtfulness towards Naomi, like, what is it, I don't know, what is it to be a friend? Like, I, I think about the, that covenantal relationship and how Ruth is being present to Naomi, even in her mood swing, even when she calls herself bitter, and then when she comes back and is pleasant, you know, like, what is it, I think, Lord, to what you were saying, but what is it that you're committing to mm -hmm. um, when you choose to be friend we choose to be in relationship and we choose to walk life with people um even when it's about going out outside of your own context maybe even going in places where there might be persecution like how are we being that friend yeah. um, how ruth does it so graciously and gracefully without knowing even the fullness of what she's gonna have to what her yes to naomi is gonna mean and I think about that, too, in the vein of, you know, returning to a land that necessarily wouldn't be particularly kind or gentle to her, you know, considering where she comes from, considering what her background is, and the courage and boldness and strength with which she moves and as she goes out and starts working in the fields. Like, it's, it's, it's just, it's really stunning to consider. Like, this isn't some super timid, mild person. I mean, the words she says to Naomi are stunning. And then the whole back and forth with Boaz at first is, yeah. is it's like, she is a woman of incredible strength um, and, and boldness and courage where so many things can be done in response to her behavior, um, but she seems to have such a confidence uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and humility with that, but just not like a, not like a, oh, little me. I mean, it's like, she's, she's out there. She's well, laying on his feet in the threshing floor. Like was that is was that really how it was done? That seems a little forward. I mean, I'm covering her feet. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To your point, she is she is bold. Yeah, and yet she she still isn't acting solely for herself. 
which is I think is the beautiful part too like I think like submitting in that friendship like submitting to Naomi is not just like okay well now I have no agency here so I'm just gonna like be resigned to be this like poor meek destitute widow and it's like no like she's such a catalytic agent in that restorative restorative process um and then she was bold and all of those things and still so considerate thoughtful in in that relationship yeah even in ways that maybe she didn't she didn't need to be she chose to be so it's so beautiful wonderful thank you guys so much for this beautiful conversation thank you for um the the heart i think they, uh, it was so wonderful to hear laura just like the i think the sweetness of the, even these words of, of what it is to be very meaningful yeah. yeah thank you so much for bringing that context yeah. um to the conversation today and I, I you know i think it's just good for you know as listeners as people that were entering into this just thinking about how who are we in this text like um are there times where we are Ruth and we do, we choose we choose people to be connected with, and that in in for better or worse, um, that mm-hmm. we choose to be present, um, sacrificially present, um, but also like who are who are the Ruths in our lives, and how are we um, associating with them, like in loving them and honoring them and being grateful for them, because we all we all have moments where like Naomi, where we are bitter and. And how gracious of the Lord to have people in our lives that still come alongside us even when we're not our best selves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we come back to, you know, challenging community, uh, who are those people that continue to encourage? So uh, we just encourage you guys to continue to listen to the podcasts. Um, we invite you to join us for a conversation just like this. You know, I feel like um, they always are meaningful. They leave us with more questions and considerations. Um, and so we hope to see you in a conversation soon. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was beautiful to be here with you today. <laughs>